What's up, BYU Radio friends? Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan here on the latest BYU Sports Nation. We discuss which is going to help BYU football win more games, the transfer portal additions or signing recruits out of high school with development. On the next episode, it's National Signing Day for Cougar Football. We'll chat about it with Kalani Sataki and Stu. Listen on demand, Google BYU Sports Station podcast, or tune in live at noon Eastern for BYUSN here on BYU Radio. Next on BYUSN National Signing Day Eve presents a loaded question for BYU football. What's going to help the Cougars win more games, transfer portal additions, or signing and developing recruits out of high school? Plus, BYU men's basketball continues their rise. Assistant coach Cahill Fennell will join us to discuss the 10-1 start, how in the world to balance a loaded rotation, and getting ready for Big 12 play. Coming off a career high and an emotional game, Kaylee Smiler chronicles getting eight staples without numbing to return to play in front of her parents and family for the first time in five years at BYU and the team's 9-2 starts. Plus, the top five runs in BYU team history on this Top 5 Tuesday. There have been some good ones. Who's going to make the list? Tough debate. Fantastic opportunity to discuss it. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Tuesday, December 19th, less than a week away from Christmas. I am Spencer Linton. He is BYU Banner Committee Chairman, Jerem Jordan. Hang a banner, moral victory. Uh, The (laughs) Lakers, um, you know, said, hey, we won this NBA Cup or what in-season tournament, whatever it's called. They hung a banner last night. I Yesterday, think they should call it the NBA Cup. Whatever it's I called. I like that. I don't really care. The, it's fun. Whatever. I didn't watch any of the game. Um, yesterday, you know, uh, uh, Jamie Pollard, Iowa State's new – or the AD, he said, hey, of the new Big 12 teams for next year, here's the attendance, you know, and, and Iowa State was second, BYU was first. Like, hang a banner. So BYU won something in Vegas, like yes, the Lakers, did. the Vegas showdown against Arizona State and NC State. So uh, I'm hoping BYU hangs a banner. It might look something like this. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, it's a little big, and it probably needs to be angled. It's but uh, oversized this is a just, bit. You get the idea. And also, do these tan seats still exist up there? Or are they all blue now? Is this an old photo? I believe that's an older photo. I think most of the seats have all been transitioned into that blue, right? Yeah, anti-tan. <laughs> anti-tan. We have but some it, people on our staff that are pro-tan. But it does match the tan in the circle there, the Vegas showdown. So maybe they went with the older picture just to, like, make the colors collaborate here's what a, a little here's better. Here's what a crappy tan-seated Marriott Center would look like <laughs> with this banner. We hang that banner right next to the 2021 de facto Pac-12 South Champions banner. And the 2020 NCAA tournament simulation wasn't there <laughs> something national runners up. oh national runner right. they, they, they lost to wisconsin wisconsin in the simulated ncaa tournament yeah we were pretty oh, bored i love then. it that's why you're the banner chairman and on december 19th we pretty bored as well <laughs> uh good luck to all the BYU students in finals by the way it's finals week started uh, i want to say saturday so uh good luck yeah stressful time if you care about school yes it wasn't that stressful for me i'll tell you that <laughs> Were you one of those guys like, I don't even care what I got. I just finished the test. I'm out of here. Yes. School got the way of my education. There you go. I came here, <laughs> to, bro- enough, I came here to broadcast. You did enough. I didn't come here to take organic chemistry. <laughs> Jerem did enough. That's all that matters. I didn't take O-Chem, so don't C's worry. C's get degrees. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> D, sometimes D's get degrees. Like a B-minus <laughs> average, I think. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. Robbins. 
Touchdown, Marion. I've enjoyed this season. I was impressed. I've never seen an environment like that. Darius Lassiter. It's National Signing Day Eve. Remember when signing day used to be the big deal the first Wednesday in February? That's no longer the case. I kind of miss that because there's like a lot going on right now in February. There's like very little. You know, it's men and women's basketball and volleyball and gymnastics. I'm talking like big news football stuff. We stayed. I'd, I'd be okay if it was pushed yeah. to February. We got a lot going the on. The football December. season, including the national championship, will run through January 8th. So I feel yeah. you there. It's like and it's th- portal time. And it's, yes, yeah. a lot is happening right now. But the emphasis on signing day has now transitioned to the early signing period, which is tomorrow, and we'll find out the majority of what BYU football is going to add on the. What is this, the third Wednesday in December, the fourth? Whatever it is, it's, See, typically, it's typically the Wednesday before Christmas. How about that? That's, For those who celebrate. That's where the majority of the news is going to happen. And then there will be like a few additions in February. Just interesting how that's changed. Some post-spring yeah. portal. Over the past few years, it's, it's become a totally different dynamic. Yeah. So yeah. on the eve of National Signing Day in December, what's going to help BYU win more games? Is it transfer portal additions, or is it the traditional signing of recruits out of high school and the development of those players? It is both, uh, but if I have to pick one, obviously the portal gives you more guys that are more ready to contribute right away, typically. Not every guy that transfers in plays, uh, but several of those do, and they contribute, right? Namely at quarterback. BYU didn't start a quarterback that didn't show up last year. Um, and so it's a big deal. You guys, you have guys like Eddie Heckard that played a significant role and AJ Bonkpachan and so on and so forth. But you have to stockpile guys as well because eventually those guys play and make a big difference. And in fact, the, like to be a true freshman and to come in and have an impact is rare. In fact, let's look at the six guys who played 99 or more snaps this year. Okay. Right? Like, those guys contributed in some meaningful way. Okay. Um, it's LJ Mar- and LJ Martin, number one impact freshman by far for BYU. Harrison Taggart, uh, due to some injuries and whatnot, he came in and played a ton for BYU. So he 19 snaps. That's the most on defense. Parker Kingston, redshirted, redshirt freshman, massive impact on the offense. Two for two in uh, passing and two got touchdowns. touchdowns. 19 catches, 207, had a receiving touchdown as well. He basically helped win the uh, Arkansas game, man. He was awesome. Raider DeMooney played 112 snaps due to a ton of injuries there at safety. Cialia Sarah played 101 snaps. Let's throw Preston Rex in there because uh, he had 99 close enough okay. at safety. These are the six freshmen that played, and the three that are highlighted are redshirt freshmen. So there's only three true freshmen, Spence. Can I add one to the list, even though he didn't play 99 snaps, that I thought was an impact player? Marcus McKenzie. Yes, in the first half of the season when he was in there, yes, yes. Um, I know it doesn't fall within your technic- right. technical but like, terms, but I thought he was an impact freshman. Sure, and, yes. You just And he didn't even play a ton. You know, he got hurt. Um, to be a freshman and to come in right away and have an impact is rare. It doesn't happen a lot. There were six. There were three that were true freshmen that did something, right? So, but you need those guys for later. Yes. You need them for later. And in a moment... I want to walk through, like, okay, let's just look at some of the statistical leaders and see, like, who was the one-year impact guy and who was I had to wait two or three years maybe to have an impact. We'll do that in a second. Absolutely. This is a fun conversation because you're talking about core development, 
compared to immediate impact transfer. And I'm with you. You need both, but how much of both do you need? And so the best way that I can quantify this is to give you a ratio. I I hope that in the future, BYU pushing forward, when they roll out their their depth chart and they have the 22 starters, that 75% of those starters are core developed guys. I'd be down with that. I feel like that would be a AKA, significant base. They've been here, yes, at least two, a year, two, like probably two or more years. Okay. They're into year two or beyond that. I feel so they've like they've been that, here a year. Yes, okay. a full year, and so if they're good enough after that full year, a red shirt, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. they've been around the program. So I want BYU to have at least seventy-five percent of the starters be core guys that they recruited out of high school. I think that matters a lot. And it gives coaches a chance to help those guys get better and develop. And we put now the responsibility on the coaches who recruited those guys out of high school to take advantage of what they saw when they were young. Do you care if they transferred and they've been here a year now? Like, does high school matter? They've just been in the program a year. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Okay. Just they, they have, they've been around for you. Because you're going to have more transfer guys than you think yes. over the next couple of years. And I would prefer transfer portal guys that have multiple years of eligibility sure. because of that idea. Depends how good you are. If you're awesome, I'll take you for one year. Like I, I look at what BYU basketball you. has done, for example, right? Yes. Like The transfer guys last year, they were new. It was tough. But look at what has happened now that they've been in the system for a year between Jackson Robinson and Noah Waterman. Like those two guys have taken dramatic steps forward because they're now I would qualify them as core guys. AKA we've been here a year. Yes. Yeah, it's our second season. Give me seventy five percent or last year like, there were a lot of transfers. Three to one ratio like of half the roster. core players to impact players. Yeah, too many. Like too well, too many. If they if they gel quickly and play well, we wouldn't say it was too many. We would be like, it, it was I perfect. Think I think it's harder it for depends. that to happen, though. I think it's harder for that to happen because everything is so new when you do that. Depends on the guy. Like, Jackson Robinson was coming from COVID weird situation to barely played to now I'm in a new system, new school. It takes a sec. Noah Waterman, similar situation. Spencer Johnson came from Slick. He was the immediate impact guy off the bench for BYU. You know, it depends on the guy. Look at the core of that team now, though, who have been around for a long time. Spencer's been at BYU for what now, four years? I think 19 years or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Dallin Hall, I would consider a core guy now. Richie Saunders is a core guy. Yeah. Foose, core guy. All these guys have been around the program for a long time, and it's paying dividends. But, if, again, if the player's good enough, it's fine. Like, if you're like, uh, yeah, Hunter Dickinson, BYU, I'd be like, he doesn't need to be here multiple years. Yeah. Like, it'd be fine. It for, depends on the guy. For BYU football, I'm looking at the core guys that were involved this year and that and the majority of these guys are going to come back next year. But you got Cody Epps, Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill, Connor Pay, Isaac Rex is out, but Parker Kingston has now been here for a redshirt year and has played a full season, or was it a gray shirt? Anyway, he's been here a year and a half. It was half. a redshirt, yeah. Okay. And redshirt counts to me in yeah. this process Core of, like, dudes. you were here a year. Jacob yeah. Ro- On defense, Jacob Robinson, Micah Harper, Ben Bywater, Max yeah. Tooley, Ryan yeah. Rico, Tyler Batty, John Nelson, like all of these guys, the majority of them are coming back, and so I'm hopeful. Oh, Rico's gone, Tooley's gone, sure. Bywater's gone. I'm hopeful that yeah. the core Betty's, Betty's guys and the development of those core guys can can get BYU to a position where yep. it's 75% of the starters. And now you add some impact guys because you need them. Like the Eddie Heckards and the Cam Garretts and the Darius Lassiters and A.J. Vongpachons. Those are fantastic additions. 
I don't want BYU to have to rely on like those guys up more than twenty-five uh, percent. Like one one-year rentals that you're hoping play spectacular, and you say thank you for being here. It, the it was year, awesome. Right. right. They come in, they're part of this, and then they bounce in their forever part it of this. It felt like BYU football relied too heavily on one-year guys last year. It yeah. Was, it was tough. Because Big 12, like, oh, we got to raise it up. We're not good enough in these spaces. You get a new defensive coordinator, too, new set of eyes. Jay Hill comes in and goes, sorry, this guy, this guy, this guy, not up to standard. Sure. We got to bring in these guys, several of which were from Weber State, that he felt like we're ready for that and opportunity. And that trend is going to continue next year. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so real quick, let, let's just go through it. Like, rushing, LJ Martin, uh, new guy. Aiden Robbins, new guy. Jake Retzloff, new guy. Miles Davis, <laughs> been here. Deion Smith, new guy. Like, you relied on new guys. Passing, Keaton Slovis, Jake Retzloff, new guys. Parker Kingston was third there. Receiving, Chase Roberts, core. Isaac Rex, core. Darius Lasseter, new. Cody Epps, uh, core. core. Keelan Marion, new. So, kind of a mix there. It's like 50-50. Yeah, defensively. Let's just look at uh, just straight-up tackles. Okay, Thule, core. Vung Pachan, new. new. Slade, core. Robinson, core. Wakely, new. Um, so, yeah, they, and that's, those aren't everything, right? Yeah, I, I like that ratio. Yeah. 75%. But, again, if you told me it was 35%, but they were straight ballers, like, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> It depends on the type of guy you're getting. I just I think would, it's tougher would, to do it with that many new plays. It's harder. I hope BYU gets in the game where they're able to pay these guys enough to where they want to come. Because that level of player, not the I'm FCS guy, I have something to prove guy. No, not that, that guy. I want that guy too, the Eddie Heckards of the world. I want the, uh, the very good player who is obviously going to have an impact for BYU kind of guy too. I just wonder in the future if BYU is going to pay for that guy. Because that guy costs money. Yeah, fair question. BYU certainly does things a certain way. Um, and it has been very successful for a long time. But at some point, if you want to go up a notch, I'm talking win Big 12 titles in football and men's basketball, you've got to get to the, we're paying this guy a lot of money, and he contributes okay. to the high weight so guy, maybe, I think, in the future. Maybe you... I'm talking one or two yeah, or three maybe, of those. Maybe you. I'm not be, talking a whole team of those. If duh. you have a core yeah. that's bought in, maybe you can afford to give a little bit more for a more notable impact transfer player out of the portal. Pay these guys, too, and raise those funds. Sure. Because we're talking about, like, go to the tourney, win a game, right? Maybe you make a run and win two or whatever. That's what we're talking about, men's hoops. In football, we're like, eh, be in the top seven. Make a bowl game. Be finishing the top half of the Big 12. Right. Eventually, I'm, I, I'm not talking about those standards. I'm talking about win the league. Yes. You have to crank it up with dollar signs in mind, as well as what BYU has been yeah. doing which is develop awesome players that may, might be off the radar sometimes or they're getting a second or third chance. Bureau's doing a great job with all those guys. All right, we got a great question of the day, and it is this. On National Signing Day Eve, in your opinion, what's at the top of your National Signing Day Christmas wish list for BYU football? Is it something out of the transfer portal? Is it a big-time high school recruit, a JUCO recruit? What do you think? Caleb.jmckay on Instagram says, the best players in Utah. Get those guys to BYU. Yeah, you're battling Utah for those. You're battling Utah. That, for those. that matters yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, I will add this to this conversation. And now Utah's in just a really good football league next year, you know? I'm looking back at the 2020 <laughs> and 2021 BYU football teams yeah. and the core guys that have been around for a long time Zach Wilson, Dax Milne, Tyler Algier, Neil Pau, Isaac Rex, Brady Christensen, Blake Freeland. And then Zach leaves, and then Jaron Hall comes, and you add Jaron to all those guys I just listed. But, by the way, you had to play them when they were young because you didn't have guys yes, that were kind of ready. Yes, core develop. 
and it, and it was seven and six, seven and six, and then in in COVID year it was awesome, eleven and one, and then it was ten and three. Like, and it's okay. You That's had okay. to go through the crap. So sometimes when there's a bad season, just remember that. It's okay. Sometimes the cost of the better season later was that you had to play them when they were young. Look at men's hoops last year. That was a disappointing season, fifth in the West Coast Conference, no NIT. It is yielding fruit, though, the experience they got to the this core year. core is back. When we're in the middle of it, like football last year, 5-7, and seven, the cost of the 8-5 and five season that BYU is going to have this next year or the next year or whatever, yeah. maybe, maybe, was 5-7 and seven in 2023. Who knows? The core is back, baby. I would let's, love to avoid it. rebuild years, though. <laughs> It'd be nice to reload. It's, it's hard to do, though. Okay, BYU football signing day is tomorrow, as mentioned. Who's the next group of guys? Huge day. Kalani Sataki will join us as we discuss the newest signees from uh, high school, from the portal, and so on tomorrow, noon Eastern time on BYU TV and BYU Radio. After the break, we'll chat with BYU men's basketball assistant coach Cahill Fennell about a wild 10-1 start and how BYU can use the next two games to get fully ready for Big 12 play. And how do they handle 11 guys that could play on the roster? It might be 12, bro. This is BYU Sports Nation. It's the beginning, we just got started. Saunders. It's the beginning, we just got started. Got it. It's the beginning, we just got started. Noah Waterman. Good again. It's the beginning, we just got started. Telling you what everyone's told us. It's the beginning, we just got started. We are live in Studio B. Great to have you with us alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton, and the man across the way in the Cougar Council Room is none other than BYU men's basketball assistant coach Cahill Fennell. The beat digger looks good, dude. The it's Beat what? Digger Cougar. That, that's, that's, called the that's called the, the Beat, beat digger, digger logo. Yeah. Beat Digger? Digging, yeah. Digging Beats. The Cougar is digging beats. That's which really who wants to eat tongue, beats? Does it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was called that. You've learned something now. There it You're is. welcome. There I you appreciate you. Yeah. Great to have you with us, man. Thanks for spending some time with us here. Yeah, today. thanks for having me. Always great to be here. All right. We are, we're going to talk about Bellerman in just a minute. But <laughs> hey, who would know Bellerman? The dude that was, was at Louisville. You were, where Bellerman is. We'll talk about that in a second. So we'll get we'll get to the Knights in just a minute, but I want to start with the conversation that Jeremy and I were just having about how to balance transfer portal situations and bringing in the right impact players compared to developing your core guys that you recruit out of high school. Because AK defined as you've been here a year. You've been here at least a year. Okay. You've been here at least a year. I feel like BYU basketball is benefiting greatly from having the majority of the team go through some growing pains and some really, you know, some big time frustrations, but they've grown together, they've developed together. And now, like 80% of the roster is core guys with some key impact transfers, specifically Ali Khalifa. We're starting to see a little bit of Dawson Baker, and we'll see what happens with Marcus Adams. But where do you, how do you balance that? Like, what's the proper ratio and the percentage there for you? I think it's difficult to, to assign, like, a number value to it as far as a ratio. I think that's always going to be hard, especially in the, in the transfer era where guys can leave whenever they want and, and there's just so much roster turnover. I do agree with you in the sense that uh, I think roster continuity is super important and it's super valuable. Um, and getting old in college basketball, in college football is really valuable and we've seen that with teams that are really successful um, and you mentioned guys that have been here for a couple of years and you look at transfers like Jackson Robinson and Noah Waterman and their second year in the system they're really starting to flourish so um, if you can find some kind of um, roster continuity while bringing in fresh pieces that already have some age but have some years of eligibility as far as more than one that's that's hugely hugely beneficial to a team so we're trying to strike that balance right mm. now and hopefully we can get there <laughs> And you didn't want it to be this way, but last year you got certain guys' experience that maybe you didn't want to have to play initially. Like a Dallin Hall was going to play, a Richie Saunders was going to play, but they played a lot of minutes. And now we're seeing the fruit In of their that. first years. In their first years. And now in year two, it takes a second. 
you got you got some nice guys coming in next year too. You got Colin Chandler off a mission. You got Isaac Davis. You got uh, you know who am I missing? There's somebody else. But it's it's very exciting um, to add to a group that you probably lose Spencer Johnson and Noah and who knows with Jackson how his season's going. It's going great so far. Um, what what is what does that actually mean in practice when you're seeing like okay we've been here. Just because you've been here doesn't mean you're good. It takes hard work and it seems like you guys. Uh, hit it hard in this offseason to get to this point. You didn't just show up and become 10-1. and one. Yeah, no question. I, you know, you have to give our players so much credit for the work they put in the offseason, to your point, right? I think their individual uh, mindset and their individual um, drive towards becoming better as individuals and, and just bettering their game and progressing with their individual games, I think, is, has really shown on the floor this year. Um, and that's kind of like a, a high tide rises all ships, right, where all of these guys have gotten better as players and it's made us better as a team. And when you're playing within the framework of how we play, um, I think you can see the results and, and see how guys have, have really just continued to grow their game and, and maximize their abilities, and, and hopefully that continues through next offseason as well. But uh, you mentioned the Dallin Halls of the world, the Richie Saunders. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Robinson and Noah Waterman. All those guys um, have really, really taken a step forward as far as um, their impact on the floor, and, and we're really fortunate to see it as a team. It's hard to uh, also sort of assess, and, and, and let me know where you're at here. Of, okay, if we bring in a freshman, he's got to probably be better than this other transfer portal guy that can help us right away. Or how long can you sort of like, okay, we can stash you uh, as the 9th through 13th guy on this roster, and, but we expect you after a year to contribute in assessing a roster in the future. Because, sure, you can go out in the portal and bring in guys. That's what happened last year. There was like – Half the roster was turned over, and it was like, who are these guys? Familiarity does not breed, uh, you know, just quality. Uh, Oh, we're deep because we know who the guys are. Well, let's let them play. So how do you kind of manage that part of it of, hey, yes, we want to bring in freshmen, but two years ago this program didn't sign any uh, freshmen. And then last year you signed the number one freshman ever, uh, Colin Chandler, highest ranked at least. Right, yeah, again, I think it's – there's some some things unique to BYU that kind of change the uh, the perspective on how we how we recruit and, and the classes that we that we bring in and and how we shape our roster and I think that's that's very special and it's very unique to BYU with mission specifically with mission specifically and everything that goes along with that and just kind of building out two years down the road and kind of planning for that which makes it a little bit more difficult in that sense um, but I think it makes it really cool because you mentioned Colin Chandler and you're you're getting somebody um, that's going to be more mature uh, that's going to get somebody that's going to be a little bit more hungry and a little bit more fired up and maybe appreciate basketball a little bit and. Um, with a different world perspective. He's been around the world now, which is really cool. Sierra Leone to D.C. Yeah. to London. That guy's been in the mission it's, transfer portal. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's hopped around. He's, he's had a unique mission. Yeah, he really has. Absolutely. He really has. And we're really fortunate to have him, and I think it's going to be an awesome experience for him to get back here. And uh, I think that's just one example, right? I think you look at Richie going to Seattle and Dallin go to Fresno and everybody else in between. I think you have guys that are um, have life experiences that have shaped kind of what their perspective is coming into college as a college athlete. So um, we're excited to get those guys back. But to your point, I think it – it changes the, the time frame on, on what your expectations on are on as far as their impact, um, and you just kind of have to build around that. Cahill Finell is with us on BYU Sports Nation, BYU men's basketball assistant coach. The Cougars off to a 10-1 and start through 11 <clears throat> games. From your vantage point, what has been the best part about the journey of this season so far? Uh, I mean, obviously the winning. I, I think there's been some really cool moments, right, going to Vegas and having the crowd on the floor after that after that victory against uh, NC State was a really cool, special moment for our players and celebrating in the locker room. Uh, but I think big picture, I think when you take a look at individual moments and individual victories over good opponents, I think in the long term those things let, matter less and less, right? right? Right now it's really about getting better as a team and um, trying to – 
just kind of add to our foundation, add to our strengths, um, you know, grow some new strengths and really develop as a group. Um, so, you know, when it comes to February, when it comes to March, we're ready to compete for championships and hopefully we can hit the ground running and, and get into this tournament. And, um, and, you know, you'd like to make some noise there, but really it's just kind of trying to get better day by day. Um, it's hard to, you know, from a coach's perspective, to get too excited about 11 games into the season. It's just such a small part of the greater picture. So um, we really need to get better and, and continue to improve. About a third of the way through. Let's yeah. go. And I don't, I don't want it to end. I want this to go slow. <laughs> Enjoy this process, right? Between now and uh, hopefully deep into March. Uh, you were at Louisville. Bellerman's from Louisville. Not Bellarmine. Not Bellarmine. Bellerman. Bellerman. Yeah, Bellerman. Uh, did you have anything to do with this game coming together? Zero. Zero? Okay. Yeah, nothing but, to do with But you know about them having lived there. I do, and we played them uh, when I was at Louisville. I think we played them just about every year I was there. And so. they played Louisville pretty tough this year they, by five. Yeah. Kansas State close as well. Yeah. West Virginia close. No, absolutely. Coach Davenport does a fantastic job. He's been there for a while. He's done a really nice job of transitioning from D2 to D1. Um, you know, they do uh, an excellent job of identifying guys that fit their system. They really uh, recruit to a type, and they've, they've kind of scoured that local breadbasket in the Ohio Valley and Cincinnati and, and northern Kentucky, and they bring in guys that fit in their style of play. So um, they don't really deviate from that at all, and they're really difficult to guard, and they've done an awesome job there. How do you navigate finals week and the proper amount of time for your guys to finish their schoolwork but then get in the right mindset knowing that, okay, yeah, take care of the stuff in the class, but we also want you to stay engaged and, and ready for this game. Let's keep this thing rolling. So how do you balance that in, in a unique week for student-athletes? It is a unique week. It, you know, fortunately, we're not the only ones that go through it, right? I mean, it's not just BYU and everybody else are professionals. So everybody else has the same kind of issues as we do. Uh, I think for us, BYU is, is such a high-level, demanding academic institution where there are some time demands and things like that. True. players which is really cool. I, I think that's a cool kind of challenge for our guys to have and to go through. So um, I, I think they're going to be really well prepared for that. And I think we really lean on the maturity of our group to, to handle that. They have you know, excellent time management skills, and we have a fantastic academic support team led by Jess Mullen um, that helps facil- facilitate that whole process. So um, I'd like to think that we're, we're prepared for it and, and ready to go. That's why we did broadcast journalism. So this week was just a breeze. <laughs> it wasn't that hard for us. Um, could we see Marcus Adams Jr. this Friday? Oh, gosh. It's really difficult. I think, generally speaking, um, expectations for Marcus and, and his impact both in the short term and for the rest of the season uh, should probably be tempered, right? I think you're talking about a young kid that hasn't practiced much due to injury. Um, I think that's a lot to ask of him to really step in and, and break into a rotation that's playing really, really well. Um, I think he's as talented as anybody that we have. He's as talented as anybody we've had for a long time, and um, I expect him to be a really nice player down the road, but I think in the short term, uh, we just have to let him grow into this thing and let him grow into being a college basketball player and, uh, and kind of find his footing and find his niche on this team. Is a redshirt an option, or will he play this year? I really don't know, I, and, and I'm not trying to dodge the question. I, I would imagine that he's going to play. I, I, would, I would think that he, he seems would. like he's anxious to play. He seems anxious. Yeah, he seems anxious to play. I think so much is going to come down to his health, right? I think he's had this really tricky, nagging ankle injury, and um, as long as that continues to progress, I'd like to think that he'll, he'll step on the floor at some point, but I, I couldn't answer that. You mentioned the rotation, and it is performing super well. Like What, what is working right now uh, is very clear with the guys that you have on the floor. So with the return of... Fusini Traore, and the implementation of Dawson Baker as, as he gets healthy and is working through you know, a foot injury of his own. How do you balance adding more guys to a rotation that is performing at such a high level? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, you know, you mentioned it's about a third of the way through the season, so so many things are yet to be determined, right? I think our group health, individual health, things like that are still in flux as we've seen, and, and we've been a little bit 
unfortunate with guys' injuries. So uh, I think as those guys start to, you know, integrate themselves back into this rotation and, and get healthy themselves, you know, that's going to allow other guys to kind of get back on the mat. So you look at somebody like Jackson Robinson as he's kind of bouncing back from this ankle injury and just kind of finding his footing back from that. Um, I think all of that is just is just a fluid situation, right? I don't think it's just this set in stone deal. Um, I think as guys continue to, to get right and get healthy and, and some guys have to find their game again and things like yeah. that, I think all that stuff will kind of, you know, it'll take care of itself. Is a 10 or 11 man rotation too many? Feels like a lot. Yeah, it feels like a lot. I, I, I would find that unlikely you know even even going through uh, uh, the the grind that is the big 12 season I think there's there's so many games and there's so many high level opponents and there's these unbelievable road trips like going to Baylor coming home and then going to Orlando to play UCF you know there's there's going to be some grinding weeks that are really really difficult but I think even at that point I think playing 11 players feels like a lot Um, but you know, far be it for me to dictate that, right? Obviously, that's a Coach Pope uh, decision to make, and, and really the players obviously play a huge role in it as well. And real quick, you mentioned Jackson. How is his ankle? How is he? I think it's progressing really well. I expect great. him to play soon, and, and we're really excited about it. He's been playing great. Awesome. Coach, great to have you in Studio B. Thanks for answering the questions that we pepper you with <laughs> on a regular basis. We're no. so interested, Kale. We just have so many Thank questions. Thank you guys for having us. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you guys. Okay, check out number 17, BYU Men's Basketball, taking on Bellarmine, the Knights from Louisville, Kentucky, coming in to take on BYU. Friday night, pregame coverage begins on BYU TV and BYU Radio at 8 Eastern time. How about this question? Would you take a top four seed in the NCAA tournament for BYU basketball, even if it meant playing Gonzaga in the second round in Spokane? This is BYU Sports Nation. Spokane's a Sunday site. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Yo, what up? Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media, Facebook, Twitter. I'm not calling it that. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Welcome back to Studio B. I am Spencer. He is Jerem. Let's roll out your Tuesday headlines. National Signing Day is tomorrow for BYU football. Join us on the show as we break down the 2024 signing class with BYU head coach Kalani Satake. Who are the next Cougs? Who's coming in to be core guys, portal guys, immediate impact freshmen perhaps? There were some, as we mentioned. Find out tomorrow. Who's the next Ryan Rico? Because the punter has declared for the 2024 NFL Draft. Punted for BYU for the past four seasons. This last season, second in all of FBS in punt average, 48.4 yards per kick. Third in total punts and total punt yardage. He's an NFL kicker. Let's I'll, go. I'll miss him, man. I love, I love watching him punt, oddly enough. New York Jets head coach Robert Sala told the media yesterday that once Zach Wilson clears concussion protocol, he will return to being the Jets' starting quarterback again for the remainder of the season. There are three games left in the regular season. I wish Zach was traded now for his sake. It's, uh, it's a legitimate health and safety concern for him right now. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> I just, yeah. Some, Get on another team. Ugh, some college basketball news. Joe Lenardi has 17th-ranked BYU as a four-seed in his latest bracketology update. Would be playing UC Irvine in Spokane. But... The Dawson-Baker game. Spokane is a Friday-Sunday site, so that can't actually happen. Unless Joe's like, I don't have BYU winning, they won't make it to Sunday. Give me BYU <laughs> in Salt Lake City, baby. Yeah. The Cougars are still number four overall in net and number five in the Ken Palm ratings. Women's volleyball finishes the season ranked number 18 in the final ABCA poll. The Cougars went 25-7 and seven overall, 13-5 and five in Big 12 play. Joey earned a four seed in the NCAA tournament, lost in the second round. 
And BYU men's volleyball announces they will host a blue and white game on Saturday, December 30th at the Smithfield House. They open their season on Friday, January 5th against Ball State in Provo live on BYU TV. It's the only sport on BYU TV. I love it. Enjoy that. Exclusive. Those are today's headlines. Now some opinions in the whip. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Lenardi has BYU versus uh, Gonzaga potentially in the second round in Spokane in his latest bracketology. Uh, By the way, the four sites BYU could play in that are Thursday, Saturday are Charlotte, Mm -hmm. Omaha, Pittsburgh, and Salt Lake. All right. Salt Lake, you say. Uh, Okay, four seed BYU, 13 seed UC Irvine, five seed Gonzaga, 12 seed Indiana. Would you take that let's throw Spokane out because it's not possible. Would you take that? How do you argue against a four seed for BYU? <laughs> Are you kidding? That would me? be awesome, man. Yeah, that would be incredible. That means that BYU probably finished like in the top six in the Big Twelve yep. and had a winning record in the Big Twelve. Which they are projected sure. to do right now. So, yeah, I would take a four seed. Playing Gonzaga in Spokane in the second round would stink. Like, that would not be ideal. Well, throw Spokane out of it. It's not but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, give me Omaha or Salt Lake City. We'll call it good. Uh, Cougar Stats tweeted yesterday we were talking about Baylor and Kansas State went 11-7 and seven in the Big 12 last year. Both got three seeds. So, you get to 11-7, and seven, you could you could go yes. in this range. You go 9-9, nine and nine, you're a wow. six seed. <laughs> could, very well could be. <laughs> our next whip question goes along with our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Fun with numbers. BYU women's volleyball has been ranked in the top 18 in the final ABCA poll for the last decade. Ten straight years, at least number 18. How do you quantify how impressive that is, Jerry? I cannot. Ten years? <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. Every week, I'm like, the top 18 streak continues. And so they finish 18. That's awesome. That level of consistency of being uh, very good to great for BYU women's volleyball has been fun to watch. They're, they're a tremendous team. Disappointing they didn't cap, get past the second round this year, but they get to the tourney. They win a game of the tourney. They host. They have a lot of big wins. It was a fun season. Man. Yeah, what's even more impressive than that, I think they've been to seven sweet 16s in the decade and two Final Fours and a national championship match. Yeah. Come on. Like, this, 14 this, and 18, Final is Four. an elite, elite program right now that Heather Olmsted has run it. BYU Basketball with Mark Pope. It's Thursday night, 8.30 Eastern on BYU TV app and ESPN+. Plus. I saw Mark at the uh, Jazz-Nets game last night. He was sitting next to Ryan Smith. Those are pretty good pretty seats. Pretty good seats. Yeah. I used to have courtside seats. Now we're at the top of the uh, lower <laughs> bowl. So there you go. Kaylee Smiler deserves a courtside seat after what she went oh, through. Yeah. We're going to talk to her after the break about, you know, getting eight staples in her head and then coming into light BYU on fire in the fourth quarter in that dramatic comeback win over Idaho State. And she did it in front of her family for the first time. This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. She left the game to get staples in her head. No numbing, no anything, came right back in. Smiler open three for the lead! If that doesn't show toughness and grit, I don't know what does. Haley Smiler is unconscious! An unforgettable Saturday for Kaylee Smiler and BYU women's basketball, to say the least. A dramatic comeback, and with some heroics on Smiler's part. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B, and we have that hero with us in the Cougar Council Room. Kaylee, welcome to BYU Hello, Sports Nation. Good morning. After just a wild weekend for you. Yeah, how was Saturday? 
Oh, yeah, it was interesting. Did a lot of drama. <laughs> well, let's just recap for uh, those that may not be familiar with this. Okay, so your, your family, in large part, has not had the opportunity to ever collectively watch you play a basketball game in person. Yeah. Correct? correct. Okay. Yeah. So with that backdrop, in the game, you take an elbow to the top of your head. You get your head split open. Yeah. <laughs> You're feeling, I'm sure, just a, cer- a certain uh, urge to and, and, and want the doctors to rush to get you back on the floor. So you have eight staples put in your head with no numbing, and then you come in and you score eight points in like a two-minute span, including two huge threes, and you were the hero in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, pretty good weekend. How would you sum up the emotions of all of that as you were going through it? Um, well, before the game, Amber had come to me and asked if I wanted that game to be my senior night. Because my, my family probably won't make it to my senior night, you know, next year. This is like their one time coming for Christmas break. She's like, do you want it? We can walk out. And I was like, oh, I don't love the attention. I was like, no, it's okay. I'll do it with Lauren Gaston. It'll be fine. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh, you know, this is my family's one game. I'll treat it like it's a senior night. Do my best. Of course, when I get injured, only in the second quarter, only been out there for 10 minutes, only scored two points. I wasn't, um, what's the word, like hurt. I wasn't thinking about how in pain I was. I was. I was more angry. I was like, are you serious right now? Like 10 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, we rushed to the back and the, the doctors are amazing and Jeff is amazing, our trainer. And they're trying to do all these tests and I was like, I'm good. I'm not concussed. There's four of you. Two times two is four. Like just naming all these things. You're wearing purple. The score is this. You're, you're the playing, one saying I, it. I'm the one saying it. I know the questions. Here they are. Here. You're giving yourself the concussion yeah. protocol test. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying as quick as I can. The, the longest part was honestly just changing my uniform because once it split, like all the blood had drained down my neck and shirt and uniform. And we were wearing white. <laughs> of it kind of would have been cool to keep the bloody uni, though. Just like, hey, look what Hang I've it. gone through today. <laughs> yeah. You had to change it. Yeah, so same thing. Like Kyle, our uniform man, he was onto it. So everyone backstage did an amazing job to get me out quick so that I was back in time before third and fourth quarter. Okay, but the eight staples with no numbing. Yes, let's talk about that. The deci- <laughs> Are you told, like, okay, we need to do eight staples? Do you want numbing or not? Like, what's that process like? I feel, see, I'm not sure what the process was. One, um, it may have hurt a little bit, but, you know, I was still going to play. <laughs> and a little bit, that's just it. Just a little bit, yeah. And when we were back there, they put alcohol on it to clean it. So yeah. I knew that they had cleaned it. And I'm no doctor, but they may have put some kind of numbing gel. So that made sense. Because in my head, I was like, maybe they're going to inject me or do something to numb it. Mm. And that's why it hurt less. But, yeah, if anyone out there is like a, a doctor or trainer who's watching this and they're like, they probably put numbing gel on her, that's probably what happened. <laughs> Coming out with the truth. Yeah, no, that, that's incredible regardless. Like the fact that you have the eight staples. And you were, you were very emotional in the post-game interview about, hey, I had to get back out there. What, what compelled you to feel like, okay, no matter what, I got to figure this out because it's like the only time everybody's together. It was an obvious choice, it seemed like, but you still had to do it. Right. You had to overcome that pain. You had to overcome that moment. Yes. I mean, I think it's just something I'm brought up with, just generally, like, culture-wise, family-wise, BYU-wise. Um, everyone's told me, you know, you just deal through it, fight through it. I wanted to be out there. And it did feel emotional because, you know, like, I'm still trying to focus. I still had to shoot, like, the free throws at the end. And it was like once the whole game was done, then I could relax. And I'm, like, looking up to my family, like, looking at my mom, like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> She's so concerned making my sister go down to the training room and bust through all the doctors being like, where is she? Is she okay? Um, yeah, very emotional game. And it would have been enough 
to just just get back in yes, there. Yes, just, just to get the in bench. the game. But then you come in and Spencer's like, she's unconscious. Like, luckily you weren't after being hit in the head. It like, you know, opened up this new space for you or whatever. But you have this incredible performance, career high. What did it mean to have that performance on that day, given the circumstances and the situation? Well, I feel like I had to make the most of that time. And my parents joke about it, too, after the game. Like, man, we got everything. You know, we got an injury. <laughs> we got a threes. We got the free throws at the end. We got the overtime. <laughs> and a win. If they only get one game to watch me, I just shoved everything I possibly could into That was, it. <laughs> like, the best thing ever, yeah. 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 Well, let's, okay, let's rewind to the fourth quarter because BYU is down by 13. And... Things are not looking good. Yeah, so as Jerem said, it's enough for you to get back on the floor and just play in front of your family. But now you are the catalyst for this 18-0 run or 21-2 or whatever it was, however you want to like bracket that. An incredible run to come back and take the lead and push it to overtime. So what's your mentality down 13 with eight minutes to play against a team that on paper you should beat? Right. Um, so the play that we set up for me to get the three that they keep posting online, we've practiced that before so we were prepared to run that it was more like oh we're running this play that means the coaches trust me enough to make this shot and so I respect them a ton I was like if they trust me then I should have confidence in myself to make it so when I made it I was like cool we're going to be on a run also in overtime we do like five minute um, scrimmages at the end of practice every single day so when it was overtime we were looking at each other like oh this is just an end of practice like staples we got it oh the reference that wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> Staples. Yeah. Yeah. And then also shout out to, like, you know, our freshmen, Kaylee Woolston and Mari Whiting. You know, this is their first time being in an environment like this and the pressure's on. They did an amazing job. And, of course, our, our returners, Gaston, like, the two of us trying to work together as captains. Emma Calvert's always our like, she's the one who did the, the talk at the beginning with the referees that the captains are supposed to. <laughs> she's our unspoken captain as well. So just hopefully me being able to be out there to calm everybody down um, and have that experience hopefully helped. <laughs> What's the biggest difference between uh, this group from last year to this year? Because you're off to a 9-2 and two start. You've got some young guns in the backcourt, like you mentioned. You know, Nani has left the team midseason. You've dealt with the emotions of that and the, the pr- lack of production of that. Yet you guys have uh, jumped out to 9-2 and two so far. What has it taken this year? Um, yeah, we were thinking about that too. Last year, when it came to those close moment times, I feel like we just couldn't make it or the chemistry wasn't there or yeah. the, you know, the extra pass or the, I just feel like the, the belief that we could, if we stay connected towards the end, we don't need like a miracle play or, and we don't need to come up with something ourselves. If we just listen to the people who know what they're supposed to do, then it's supposed to work. And so that was amazing to see in the game as well. Like finally got to a pressure moment. We're like, okay, this happened last year as well. Normally last year too, a halftime would be up and then would slowly drag to the end. But I felt like that other game we had switched and we're like, no, just stick, stick to the basics and we'll be good. Kaylee Smiler is with us on BYU Sports Nation. We just mentioned Nani Falatea. Your good friend Ari Mackey Williams has a devastating knee injury that keeps her out for the duration of the season. So between losing Ari and Nani, how is the team adjusting to not having those two key cogs like you thought they would be a few months back? Um me and Kaylee, for sure, getting more dribbling drills in. <laughs> Got to learn how to bring that ball up the court. Not learn, but, you know, get used to be comfortable doing it. And Amari's doing an amazing job. I just still got to talk about her. She came off an ACL injury, you know, just last mm-hmm. season in high school. And so for to be able to step up to that role, um, 
I admire her a ton. We'll be good. I was like, spread across the board with the amount of guards that we have and the help from our bigs, you know. I don't know if you saw, but we're mocking uh, Lauren Gusson, you know, like PG Lauren when she's getting that fast break. <laughs> like, yep, she went all the way. That's yeah. awesome. So it's not only us that's getting the board handling in, it's, it's everyone across the board. <laughs> Are you more comfortable bringing the ball up the court or doing the hako? Oh, Hako, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a fair question. If you can do both at the same time, that'd be really impressive. That's the next level. Okay, big road trip. You're going to play Missouri State. This is a team that over time has gone to five Sweet 16s. Like, they go to the tourney. They're a tough team. You've uh, played them, I, I believe, uh, recently, last couple of years. And then Nevada the next day. It's like less than 24 hours, two games. What will it take to come away with a couple of victories in Missouri? I'm just treated like every other game. You know, it doesn't matter if they you know, care about rankings. Amber always says grab them by the horns. <laughs> and so, you know, when you see a fight come, you don't, you don't back away. You, you go towards it. Um, you know, the coaches always have a great scout, so we'll always be prepared. I'll practice, boys. If we can beat them, then we can beat anybody. They're a good bunch. And so we'll be good. Two more games before Big 12 play begins. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma to uh, heal up, you know, and hopefully that, that uh, closes up real quick. How, by the way, are the staples still in? They're still in. Yeah, my hair's hiding it. <laughs> How long wow. do they have to stay in? That's wild. For like another eight days. Yeah. Mm. You're going to play with staples. Play with head. staples, yeah. It's like one like starts coming out during the game. You just pat it back down. Like, <laughs> Listen, if you, if you go nuts, you go off again, maybe you should just leave them in there for the duration. <laughs> okay. That's Lucky wild. staples. Yeah. Hopefully, don't go, go off in the metal detector at the uh, airport. Like, oh I actually have eight staples. I need to go over here. Good luck in Missouri. Good Thanks. Luck, Thank you. As mentioned, BYU Hoops taking on Missouri State, the Lady Bears, Lady Bear Classic, Springfield, Missouri. You can listen to it on BYU Radio. Watch it on ESPN Plus Wednesday, 3 30 Eastern. Up next, we're discussing eras in the spirit of Taylor Swift's Eras Store. Okay, not really, but we are discussing the top five successful eras by BYU teams in this week's edition of Top 5 Tuesday. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. It is Top 5 Tuesday. Big conversation for the big board. We are focusing specifically on the top five most successful eras by a team in BYU sports history. Start us off, Jeremy, number five. Number five, women's volleyball, as we mentioned. In the top 18, the last 10 years, the final ABCA poll of 2013, all the way to this one. Two final fours in there, by the way, 2014-18, a bunch of conference championships. We went to the national title game in 2014. This program consistently sticks in the top 18. Can you imagine if football or men's basketball did this? How much we'd freak out? I'm freaking out right now because <laughs> women's volleyball is so good here. At numero cuatro, BYU women's soccer. Two college cup appearances in the last three seasons. That is unbelievable for a program that it took so long to get there. Now they've been to two in the last three. Of course, they lost in the national championship in PKs to Florida State in 2021. Lost to Stanford in the College Cup this go-around in North Carolina, but an amazing run by Jen Rockwood and her team and some amazing seniors. And this year, of course, the 4-3 comeback against North Carolina in the Elite is an all-timer. This has been this is the dream era for BYU women's soccer. The one they didn't get to the College Cup, they went to the Sweet 16. So it's still a tremendous year. Number three, men's volleyball. 
have three national titles in six years. 99-0-104 really upset the apple cart when UCLA had won like 19 or 18 titles in the first like 25 or 30 years. Take that, Bruins. 30, Al Skates, what's up? Yeah, 30 Al. and 1. 30 and 1. I got stories, bro. 30 and 1 in 1999. That's one of the greatest teams ever from BYU any sport. Al Skates was on ice against BYU. Oh, oh snap. And by the way, 16 to 18, three Final Fours in a row. That has never happened in BYU. Amazing. Number two, BYU women's cross country. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you know this. Four national championships in six seasons. Four and six. Won in 1997, 99, 2001, and 2002 going back Amazing. to back. No team on campus has more national championships than women's cross country with the five. Had 24 runners earn All-America honors from 97 to 2002. Dominance. Incredible. Number one, football. 1983 to 1985. You win all but the first game in 83. Yep. All the games in 84 and win the national championship, of course. We know this. Glenn Kozlowski, what's up? Throwback, Eddie Sinan, Steve Young, does he score? He does score! And then into 85, you lose the second game. Oh, Kamra, what's up? That this is the greatest one five straight wins. Of it. I mean, I would go seventy nine to eighty five for the quarterback run as well for BYU. That was impressive. Wow! All right, our elite boys today presented by Pax Healthcare Elevated. We wrap up Top Five Tuesday and ask, what's at the top of your national signing day Christmas wish list for BYU football? White pants from Spencer at Fourth and Kalani. On X says Fourth and an, Kalani. an official Red Rider BB gun, or at least an official Red Raider defensive lineman flip to the Cougs. Hey, we'll Woo! talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> That's nice. A Christmas story. Shout out there. Today's Rise and Shout Up presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Ames Flames, Amy Jones, longtime viewer of the program, an elite fan. Her daughter, Coco, uh, had a scary moment, had to go to the hospital. Uh, had an abscess in her neck from a previous injury and had to have surgery. Well, we're happy to report that all the infection has been cleared out. She's doing well. We, and we received a tweet that said, look, she's been watching BYU TV, Studio C, BYU Sports Station. She's in good spirits. So we're so happy that Coco's doing well. Hang in there, Coco. Shout out to the Jones family. We appreciate your support. and We love you. All right. That'll take care of the rise and shout out. Our thanks to today's guest, Cahill Fennell and Kaylee Smila. Sorry to Dennis Pitta. We ran out of time. You didn't have eight staples in your head without that. He did not. No. It's always something he didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) For Jerem, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Brian Taylor. We'll see you tomorrow back here in Studio B. Go Cougs! Is that Elder Taylor?